We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome to It's Okay to Say Gay. I'm your host, Femi Redwood, and I'm here, of course, with Andy Egan Thorpe. Hey, today's episode will be a little different than some of the others. So a few years ago, our brand manager, Ben Meverack, interviewed the parents of Matthew Shepard. It was such a compelling interview. And as I was planning out episodes for this podcast, I wanted to revisit that conversation. Now, typically journalists wait until the anniversary of something to cover a topic. But considering everything happening right now with anti-trans legislation, it makes sense to revisit Matthew Shepard. And that's exactly it. Some of the language that is being used today really reminds me of some of that harmful language we heard in the 80s and 90s. And then I started thinking about those historical moments that sort of changed the course of LGBT. LGBTQ rights. And Matthew's incredibly tragic death was one of those moments. I remember I was a freshman in high school when the news about Matthew broke. I remember it being such a big story. And I also remember trying not to focus on it, though, because I was still very young and sort of in the closet. And his story really scared me. I remember almost two years later, I saw his mother speak and I remember crying. Well, before we hear from his parents, let's get a better understanding of what the world was like at the time. Producer Joe Webb connected with the host of the Making Gay History podcast and takes us back to the late 90s. The first time I heard about Matthew Shepard was in middle school. Learning about his murder was shocking because at the time, I didn't understand how unsafe the world was for LGBTQ people. To better understand what the world was like at the time, I called up Eric Marcus. He's a journalist and the host of the podcast, Making Gay History. Hi, Eric Marcus here with the Making Gay History podcast. In 1998, Europe agreed on a single currency. Britney Spears began recording her debut album. And let's not forget, President Bill Clinton got impeached. I have accepted responsibility for what I did wrong in my personal life. It's so funny when you ask that question, I think, well, that for me is recent history. Eric grew up in the 60s, so by 98, he thought the lives of gay people were better than ever. Back then, I, whenever I was asked about, about the times and what they were like for gay people, I would say these are the best of times. Throughout my life, things got better and better for the vast majority of what we then called gay and lesbian people, now LGBTQ people. 
So I was able to go on about my life out of the closet uh, at work. I was in a relationship already. We just celebrated our 28th anniversary. Remember, this was during the tail end of the AIDS crisis, and that caused a major shift in public perception of the queer community. So the AIDS crisis forced thousands, tens of thousands of gay people out of the closet. Straight people got to see us at our best. We stepped up. We took care of people in our community. We organized. And already by the early 90s, there was a shift of people who'd been involved in AIDS activism back into or into the gay rights movement. It's important to note, Eric was living in New York City, a much more gay-friendly area than most of the country. I was in a very privileged position living in Manhattan. I'm white. I'm not so identifiably gay. So I could go on about my life and not have a problem. I wasn't in the military. So things were pretty good for me. But I was also aware that my life was not the life of every gay person. Still, being openly gay in the 90s, even in Manhattan, put a target on your back. We still did not ever walk on the street holding hands. And even in gay neighborhoods, queer people had to be alert. So when I say that, yeah, I could just live my life like anybody else, there were still things about our lives that we had to be careful about. But New York City is not Wyoming. It's not even Queens, New York, where I grew up, which was a which is a whole different world. So it really depended upon where you lived, how old you were, whether it was okay to be gay. Basically, the public had a slightly more nuanced view, but homophobia was still a big problem. I think homophobia was normalized everywhere. I think it was expressed more clearly in places that where there weren't a lot of gay people or less urbanized areas, more rural areas, more red areas, as we've come to refer to them. Matt Shepard, the gay college student savagely beaten last week in Wyoming, died this morning. It's been 20 years since Matthew Shepard's gruesome murder became synonymous with homophobic hate. His parents, Dennis and While Jimmy, discrimination was widespread, the nation was still stunned. The murder of Matthew Shepard was such a shocking thing and in some ways not so much out of the norm because gay people were routinely beaten in various places around the country from New York City to Casper, Wyoming. Matthew's story stood out. The symbolism was extraordinary. You know, being beaten and tied to a fence that looks like a cross, so it looked like a crucifixion. Who he was, pretty blonde boy, seemingly boyish because he wasn't that young. And then the, the media attention that followed and the celebrities who got involved. So that case rose to national attention in the way that most run-of-the-mill gay bashings did not. That media coverage gave America a real glimpse at what LGBTQ people faced. I think it made people aware that this is what some people, some gay people had to deal with. Matthew's death was one of the first times the LGBTQ community felt support from the general public. There was not public support after the Stonewall Uprising in the way there was for Matthew Shepard after his murder. The world was so different in 1969. And the only reason or a key reason Stonewall became Stonewall was because of the organizing that took place immediately after to channel the energy and the anger that was released at the Stonewall Uprising in New York. It was called the homophile movement that was having a national conference shortly after the Stonewall Uprising. So that was around the, the organizing that took place in the year after, and then the first Pride March that was held in June of 1970. And then when Matthew was murdered, 
again the community mobilized. I think for those of us who lived comfortably, who thought that we could just be ourselves and the world had changed, it brought home the fact that we were still in danger, that there were people still who were out to get us. Um, that, And it, of course, inspired additional activism. Those sorts of things always do. And it helped that Matthew's parents became activists themselves. Today, progress has been made, but LGBTQ people are still not completely protected, especially those who are transgender. So far, at least 14 trans people have been killed in 2022. Most of the victims are trans women of color. This is all according to the Human Rights Campaign. And I say, at least, because so many of these deaths go unreported. So, why aren't these deaths seeing the same outrage as Matthew Shepard's? I think there's a lot, <clears throat> there's generally a lot more sympathy for a blonde boy in Wyoming who was murdered than trans women of color. I mean, you look at our society in general and attitudes towards trans people, our attitudes towards people of color. I think if, if Matthew had been a trans woman of color, it would not have gotten the attention that it did. Not even close. Activists say right now, the queer community is met with a lot of hateful legislation and violence. For many, it feels like a reversal on progress we saw after Matthew. I've now lived long enough to see a number of these cycles. This is a particularly nasty one. Eric understands how hatred can spur action. I came out to my mom during the Anita Bryant anti-gay campaign in the late 1970s. I was so outraged by her Save Our Children national campaign, which was geared to roll back gay rights legislation across the country. And she was quite successful until it got to the West Coast and then she was thwarted. Many other gay people felt called to come out during this moment. At the time that Anita Bryant went after gay people, not a lot of people knew someone who was gay. What changed was that so many people came out. And it turned out that also a lot of the right-wing elected officials had gay children or gay siblings or even gay parents. So it's much harder to demonize people who are visible. We're still seeing this type of reaction happening today. I think what this latest round we already see happening of anti-gay and anti-trans activism, what we see is young people, LGBTQ young people, who feel compelled to come out, step forward and step up, and we need to support them in their efforts. We need to make efforts of our own and speak out about it, and we need to vote. That visibility shapes politics. The state legislator in Michigan, the straight woman, self-described straight woman, who's uh, mom, who spoke out against what's going on now, people like that are very important. That's the only way. You can't just sit back and let it happen. You have to fight back in whatever way you can. Today's moment of mobilization may serve as a turning point in gay history. I hope that this anti-gay wave will ultimately prove to be the downfall of some of the people who are leading the way. So the problem they face now, the anti-gay activists, is that they can get away with, at least for now, going after trans people because most people don't know anyone trans. Matthew Shepard's legacy serves as a reminder for what queer people and their allies are fighting for today. I hope that in revisiting the Matthew Shepard story, that we can look at it in all of its complexity and not simply the distilled version of the story that emerged at the time. History is almost always more complicated than the shorthand version. It's richer 
than the shorthand version. It's more complex. And there is danger in distilling history down to broad brushes, broad strokes, because we often wind up turning people into icons who are actually complicated human beings. And Matthew was complicated. His circumstances were complicated. The story was complicated. And as I came to learn about the what, what happened, I found that more interesting and more human, ultimately, than the story that wound up being presented by the media. Massive thanks to Eric from Making Gay History. When we come back, we will hear from Matthew's parents. As America celebrates Juneteenth, join me, Femi Redwood, the host of the Beyond Black History Month podcast, as we continue our special series to how one man's love helped build a strong Black community after freedom. He was just a man that truly believed in family. To how the spirit of Juneteenth connected many in the diaspora. You can find Beyond Black History Month on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back to It's Okay to Say Gay. In 2019, the 1010 Wins brand manager, Ben Meverack, spoke to Judy and Dennis Shepard. Matthew was only 21 when he was murdered, and when that happened, they were determined to prevent something like that from happening again. They turned all that pain into action and established the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Let's go to the interview. Uh, you knew him as Matthew. To us, he was Matt. I have tried to reconcile the two within these pages. It would be unfair to Matt if only Matthew's story was told. Matt was so much more than Matthew Shepard, the gay 21-year-old University of Wyoming student. He had family and countless friends. He had a life before the night. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is new. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. <sighs> Okay, we'll start over. I can do this. Oh. 
I need to do this. <coughs> you knew him as Matthew. To us, he was Matt. I've tried to reconcile the two uh, within these pages. No. You knew him as Matthew. To us, he was Matt. I've tried to reconcile the two within these pages. It would be unfair to Matt if only Matthew's story was told. Matt was so much more than Matthew Shepard, the gay 21-year-old University of Wyoming student. He had family and countless friends. He had a life before the night. I can't do it. You do it. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> you knew him as Matthew. To us, he was Matt. I have tried to reconcile the two within these pages. It would be unfair to Matt if only Matthew's story was told. Matt was so much more than Matthew Shepard, the gay 21-year-old University of Wyoming student. He had family and countless friends. He had a life before the night he was tied to that fence. Thank you. So do you think now that we know Matt or do you think it's still to most of the world we know him only as Matthew? Uh, I think most of the world still just knows Matthew. Uh, several of us, us, his friends and family, have tried to introduce Matt um, in many ways. Uh, the Laramie Project in one way. There was a documentary. Matt Shepard is a friend of mine. Um, but I also think there's a resistance to know anybody but Matthew. Um, he want, They want to remember the him as um, as a symbol the yeah as a symbol yeah um, and they identify with the Matthew and if they want to know more about him they will identify him more with Matt so it's but I still think most of the world is they know just Matthew and is that is that something that you wish you could change is something you just accept as it is what it is I think we have to accept it it is what it is um, I'm okay with that I, I did what I felt I had to do, um, as did Michelle in the film and other people who've done works about Matt, who knew him. Um, but I, it's just it's just the way it is. It's um, even even we fr as friends and family, we tell stories about Matt in a different way. So it's just how it's just how people need to know him. So there's sort of a dual thing going on here. There's the inner circle of Matt and then there's the world who has ownership of him and his story. Right. And that's Matthew. Right. And that's OK. And they do, they do claim an ownership to his story uh, because they identify with it. So that's, that's cool, too. Yeah. And ownership beyond the gay community. We're talking about you know, ownership oh, yeah. Yeah. across all communities, yep. which is important. The question is, I guess, in 2019, and, and you were gracious enough to, to, to write a blog for us. That's at uh, 1010wins.com slash pride. And in that, you said, a generation after his death, most young people don't know the story of Matthew Shepard, unless perhaps their school put on the Laramie Project, or brought him up in U.S. history class. So we get set to celebrate pride through a million folks. We've come such a long way since 1998. Yet, for the two of you and for your son, you write in 20 years later that there's this fear that his story and name will fade away. Well, even, even 20 years ago, we thought in two years, people will just move on from Matt's story. It, it'll, it'll go by the wayside, as many stories do. And we certainly didn't think 20 years later we would still be talking about Matt. And as generations go on, it's not Matt's world is not the world young people see today. It's not the world they live in today. Schools are not allowed to teach history of the LGBT community in many places. 
textbooks don't include it automatically. So I'm, I'm not surprised that they don't know who Matt was. I meet people of Matt's age who are appalled that they don't know who Matt was. Um, but it's just, it's just history moves on. But in that same vein, um, we need to understand not just Matt's story in the past, but all who went before Matt and since Matt, because it's those stories that we're building the future on. And if we don't know them and we don't understand what they went through so the community can enjoy the rights and privileges they have now, limited as they are, and slowly vanishing currently, um, I'm not sure we'll ever really appreciate what went before. You know, I went out uh, for about a week before uh, this get-together, and I asked people, uh, wherever I went, I asked people, I said, do you know who Matthew Shepard is? And by far and away, the answer, and some of it was generational for sure, but the answer was, Matthew Shepard. Why do I know that name? And then when I would explain it to them, most people would say, oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I remember that. Or, oh, I think my school did a play about that. Mm -hmm. And they would maybe struggle to, to recall the Laramie Project. But that's the sort of fading away that is, 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 and is hard to sort of come to terms with, I would think. I think it's important for it to fade away if they get all the equal rights through they're supposed to have because that's the intent behind it. Matt's death was a pivotal point for the straight community to understand and realize the violence and the discrimination against the LGBTQ community. They didn't, even today, in 30 states, you can still be fired from your job for being gay. And you ask people that on the street, it is do you know that LGBT people can be fired for being gay at work? And they'll say, no, it's because there's job protection everywhere. It's job protection for everybody but LGBTQ. And so when all that is taken care of, Matt should kind of fade away, knowing that he was a pivotal point that caused the conversation to start and the changes made with the law named after Matt and Mr. Bird, don't ask, don't tell, uh, marriage. That was... That was a point. They'll have a place in history. Yeah. I'm sure you're um, very grateful for the amount of progress that has been made in the gay rights movement. And, um, you know, everyone here in New York, you know, it's about Stonewall in the 50 years since the uprising. Mm -hmm. And we now have marriage equality and, and those things. When you look at the span of time, where do you see Matthew's story fitting into that? I think it was a turning point for the straight community because everybody could identify with something about Matt. That's my brother, my cousin, my neighbor, my mm -hmm. son's best friend. Um, everybody, something about him spoke to people in the gay community as well as the straight community. And I think it was a, and the press did it in a respectful way. They didn't do it in the National Enquirer-esque, you know, um, sensationalized view and then blame it on Matt. They, they told the story in a respectful way. Um, and I think that really turned the tide. And... A lot of folks were so incensed by what happened to Matt, people of influence, that they themselves began to tell their stories. And uh, it was just, a, it was a progression of a lot of things happening at the, you know, things, a confluence of events happening at the same time. And Matt was a part of that. You have been asked, and one of the reasons why I sort of told the story is because I didn't want to have you have to tell the story, but you have told it thousands of times, probably a conservative number. Mm -hmm. How does that impact, it impacts you the same emotionally, or do you have different reactions to having to, to, I know why you're doing it, but still it is a human experience to tell this story over and over and over again, and it is your son. Yeah. Uh, 
how is it telling it so many times affect you emotionally? Um, when when Dennis had to go back to work in Saudi, the first ten years that we did this work, I did a lot of speaking at colleges, and sometimes I could make it through without expressing emotion, and I made a really concentrated effort to not do that because I would fear people would worry about me, my my mental health, my how am I surviving this? And it's like the message is too important for you to be worrying about me. And if you can see that I'm okay, then I'm hoping you'll be okay too. Were you okay? No, <laughs> I wasn't. But I figured out a way to, I figured out a way to make it seem that way, um, and then go back to my hotel room and cry in the shower. You know, it's like you just—I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing, apparently. So, um, but to do this, I haven't read this in years. So it was—it was a surprise. That's the hardest part. To have to, you prepare yourself for what you think is coming. And if it's something different, that's very hard. But some days it feels like it was yesterday, and some days a hundred years ago. So it, it just it's it's so many variables and events, and and how tired I am. Um, right. So it's it's I never really know how it's going to end up. I don't know what it is. Dennis has better control of that than I do, but. Well, men traditionally will compartmentalize. Uh, you know, we put things in boxes. We we store the box somewhere in the head, and then we try not to open it. You know, and and we're really pretty good at that. Is is that what? Is you know, is that how you have dealt with telling the story over and over again, and and dealing with the emotion of it? Uh, a lot of it has to do with my profession. I was uh, I've been involved with the safety profession as a manager for. 40 years and I've had to go to families and tell them that Joe isn't coming home and be there with the family until the mother or the father or the or the wife until somebody else from the another family member can get over there so I've I've had to learn how to hold things in and not make it worse for whoever you were with there are those who would say though that it always finds its way out well, it does to me when I'm talking about Matt a lot of times um, it gets hard because I think about him as so vibrant and so eager for the world you know a kid five foot two 105 pounds spoke five languages was taken to six when he died wanted to be overseas with the State Department bringing the same rights and responsibilities and, and duties and pleasures of, of America to another country not realizing that as a gay man, he didn't, he wasn't an American citizen. He was a second class American citizen. And, and it's very aggravating and frustrating to me that we had a straight son, we were blessed with a straight son and a gay son, and they weren't equal. Our straight son had more rights and privileges than his brother. And I can't get anyone to explain that to me. You had once said, uh, very emotional moment where you talked about the board games that you had uh, in the closet in the house and they were meant for four. Yeah, you gave them all away. And you gave them all away because now you were three. Yeah. yeah. Very difficult. October must be a hellish month, no matter it's, how many years pass by. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah, Do we you... lost Matt and in the, in the attack and dump. Uh, two weeks later, we lost my dad because of all the stress of this. And then a year later, we lost her dad in October. So. Do you hide in October? Do we not see you in October? Well, that's the gala. Well, I, that's, that's the I, I'm so busy in October. 
by just, design. Yes. By design. Yes. Right? Because being alone in October is not a good thing. No. Not no. Good thing yeah. Matthew's ashes uh, were laid to rest uh, just recently mm -hmm. uh, uh, at Washington National Cathedral. How did that come about? <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's one of those, my, well, to start with, my brother says that my family has a, a motto never to today, which you can put off until tomorrow, because if you wait long enough, the right things just happen. <laughs> so we were um, honored by the Smithsonian uh, Institution to take Matt's things for their LGBT collection. And two of the folks were at our house in uh, May of 98. I mean, uh, 2018. So um, one of the gentlemen was a congregant of the National Cathedral, and he said, they knew we had Matt's ashes still hesitant to do and unknowing what to do with them. And he said, have you ever considered the National Cathedral? I was like, no, because it's the National Cathedral. We don't live there. We don't go to church there. And it's the National Cathedral. And we didn't think they did anything. Yeah, like we, had, that. we had no clue they did anything like that. And he said, well, I want you to, you know, consider it. So I emailed uh, Gene Robinson, Bishop Robinson, who's a friend of ours. And he said, oh, my gosh, that's perfect. I'll take it from here. And he made all the connections, and by October of 2018, it was a done deal. He has a very good sense of humor. It, it, oh, it was lovely. It was it just was lovely. It was weird because we'd already set up October 24th for a signing over ceremony at the Smithsonian. And it turns out the cathedral was available the next day. So we were able to tie the whole thing in together. And we were just going to have a private ceremony. We said, no, nobody will come. Mm -hmm. And they said, please reconsider. I said, well, you know, 25, 30 people, fine. Well, he said 4,000 were there and they had over a million hits around the world because they live streamed it and people are still hitting on it and, and watching the ceremony. They uh, only choose people based on their lasting contribution to humanity. Yeah. That's the words that, that's their words. That it was so spectacular. Plus, been incredibly special to Great honor. Yeah, Wonderful what honor. we found out later was we left take Matt's ashes to the crypt and after we left, the last piece of music they played had only been played before for Heads of State. Wow. So when they had the funeral for um, w, George W. Bush, H.W. Bush, it was like, Matt is there. Matt is there. That's, he's going to be able to participate in all those things, all the wonderful things that happen there now. That he always wanted to do it when he was growing up. Yeah, and he loved it, politics. And it's, it so. also was opened a window for folks who had lost faith literally, and in being accepted as members of the gay community in a, in a place of worship. Um, so it, was, it was quite extraordinary. Where is God in all of this for you too? We are not religious. Um, I, we are both baptized Episcopalians. Uh, Dennis's statement is, we live in Wyoming, why do we need to go to a building? You know, to Walk worship the doors, nature. And there's, there's the church. Um, so, but Matt loved the church. He absolutely loved the church. Whether it was more the theater of the church or the actual religious aspects, I never really could decipher. Um, but he loved everything about it. He loved the community. Um, we're just not we're just not not religious people. So, but there was a belief in God. There yeah. was a belief in a higher oh. purpose. I think um, a higher purpose. Was that belief put to the test? No. You know, Judy was on the altar guild. She was a Sunday school teacher, and Matt was an acolyte. And um, they both liked the ceremony. 
We never really, there was no, uh, we get asked a lot, did you blame God for saying, no, this isn't, no. Um, there was no loss of faith or belief or however you want to phrase it. There was, that just didn't happen. Anger was directed someplace else. I uh, heard you once describe Matt as bright, funny, empathetic, sympathetic, and sometimes pretty annoying. Yes, <laughs> most exactly. of the time, pretty annoying. <laughs> well, that's certainly dad. That's with every parent. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you knew he was gay very early on. Uh, I suspected it since he was about eight. Um, my friends joke that because his favorite Halloween costume was Dolly Parton, perhaps that was for a trigger. three straight years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, that, that wasn't it. There was just something about him that was unique compared to his other friends. I had many gay friends in college, so this was not a new avenue for me. And uh, I just knew that he would need us if, he, if that was the case and if he ever decided to come out. And, but I also knew that if I approached him before he was ready, he would retreat. And I did not want that to happen. He had to figure it out on his own. So, but so again, you were that's, okay with it right from, in other oh, words, whatever. Yeah, no issues. Yeah, absolutely no problem. Dennis, were you okay with the, the... Well, the funny story about all this is when he decided to tell us, he called Judy. Well, we were in Saudi Arabia where I was working. And that's why Matt went to school in Lugano, Switzerland, because there are no high schools for Westerners in Saudi Arabia. He was about 18 when he came out to... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... So he, he, he blossomed in Lugano, Switzerland, where he went to boarding school. And when he came out to Jude, uh, she promised him that she wouldn't tell me. And I tell this joke about, well, yeah, but all mothers lie. Because <laughs> as soon as she hung up, she said, dear. Our son. <laughs> yeah. And I and said. And your reaction, yeah. Ah, he just hasn't met the right girl. And no, he hasn't met the right man. Hmm. Think about that, because I grew up with my my dad was a big outdoorsman, and he taught the both the boys how to hunt and fish and camp and ride horses and and all that, and I wanted the grandkids to do the same thing, and then I got to thinking about it and thought how blessed I was I still have my son to do things with, and other families have lost their children through car accidents or military service or health issues. And um, I can still do things with him. And I can still have grandkids these days. Mm -hmm. So it was no big deal. And I thought... Was that an instant turn no, of no, thought? No, it, it, took, it took a little bit because I had to you know, digest it all along with everything else. And I thought, hmm, I can have two bachelor parties. <laughs> but it was okay because he was our son first. And whatever made him happy, we were there for him to support him. And encourage. Were you angry with your husband for not being instantly there? No. I, I was n never worried about rejection. I knew that there was going to be a reconciliation to the idea. And since have found out that there is, it's a grieving process. As parents, unconsciously, we map, map out our children's future based on society norms. Mm -hmm. And we're in a fork in the road now, and we have no idea what's on this other path. And I knew that there would be a, a a moment in time when Dennis would have to somehow reconcile the idea of not having grandchildren as, or what he thought his life was going to be like as a grandfather uh, or not. And no, that was, that was expected, which is why I wanted to tell him before Matt did, because I didn't want him to say that to Matt. Because there's some of these things you, in the initial process, 
hurtful things that are said that can never be forgotten. And I didn't want that to be Matt's experience. And it would not have been out of any kind of malice or rejection. It would have been out of ignorance. Um, so it's, it's well, she tells me all the time, you're so ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the world of <laughs> husbandry. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, you guys, I'm sitting right here. <laughs> there is, of course, and, and here today, there is a public side to Judy and, and to Dennis. Um, and then, of course, there's your private side. I'm going to ask you to take me there a little bit, if, if, if you can. When you're not traveling and you're not doing speaking engagements and you're not helping parents of other murdered children, when you aren't doing interviews, what do you talk about? Um, I'm not sure that we really, we talk, we still talk about work because we're still planning for what we're doing next. Um, I have a, I'm an introvert by nature, so I need to be like people-less for a while. And uh, I have a small group of girlfriends at home where we play Mahjong. So that's my, that's my step back into my other life. And uh, read a lot, watch a lot of TV. Um, we do a lot of that together and to talk about books and stories and things like that. Um, but I help her out because like on our anniversary or Mother's Day, I spend the entire day outside. That's my gift to her. <laughs> Stay away from her. You're quite welcome. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we go out and have lunch or dinner or the movies or whatever. It's, it's just... Typical boring old people yeah, life. Yeah, old people life. And what do you uh, think about in your book, Judy, you wrote, it is often said that we see a white light before we die. I wonder if that was what Matt saw that last night of his consciousness, or if the last thing he saw was Aaron McKinney's hateful face. Aaron, of course, was one of the two men convicted of uh, killing Matt. Do those types of thoughts still fill your time, your quiet times when you're alone? No, um, I, don't, I don't go back to that. I, I feel like it's more important to move forward. So uh, even in the, in the um, commemorations of last year, it was like, let's, let's move on from the event into what we can do to change the world. Let's not concentrate so much on the event. Let's concentrate on what happened after the event and, and what, what has come from that. There's no reason to keep revisiting the event. But they, I would imagine, still try to creep into Oh, yes. It. So you have to actively keep them out. Yes. When you're out in public, supermarket, or walking around, people must recognize you. Uh, you're shaking your head no? No, they don't. Um, they recognize us in context, like because they're expecting to see us here, more people will recognize us. But, well, in Casper, they recognize us, but not necessarily all in a positive way. Um, uh, occasionally, we are recognized in the airport occasionally, but it's not like we're massive celebrities. When people, But people do approach you? Well, first <laughs> of all... Um, I can't let that comment go, but you said not always, Casper. What, what is the, I, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but, but why? why? Why is that not a positive? Well, there's, there's a couple reasons. One, some folks in Wyoming at large blame us for what they view as the negative reputation Wyoming now has because of Matt's story being told and retold. Called the hate state. Yeah, and um, isn't it amazing though that the anger is focused on you and not on his killers? Yes, is it that, is, that but def- not unexpected. It's not unexpected, but and state, also it's, it's the red. It's the reddest of the red states. But this isn't even a political thing. This is well, you know, it is to them. Well, no, I get that, but yeah. what I'm thinking, you know, yeah. you know, if you're going to get angry, you know, for whatever reason, you're going to blame someone. Right. Why would you blame 
Matthew and not, you know, yeah. take your anger out. Because you're just sitting in innocent, innocently in a bar having a drink after a meeting before he went back to study. They'd never met each other. Henderson and, and McKinney and, and Matt had never met each other before. What makes you laugh? Well, the... Um, well, Does he have a lousy sense of humor? Does that mean always, that? <laughs> he always makes me laugh, and sometimes inappropriately. Uh, no, it's, it's, you know, you, we have another son, so you have to have some normalcy in your life and respect our other son, Logan, and his, uh, his fiancée and their life and try to spend as much time with them and away from this as you can. We sheltered him the whole time. Yeah, we protected him. Tell me about He needs to have his own life. Oh, he's great. He's absolutely, he's he's wonderful. Complete opposite of Matt. Very much an introvert like me. Um, natural athlete. Natural athlete. Tall, Logan. Yeah. yeah. He's, they were complete opposite. You, you wonder how they can be so different and still have the same parents, the same growing up environment. Did you fear he would get lost in Matthew's story? Yes. Of, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And did he a little bit at some point? Or? Uh, I think he did. In the very beginning, he had he had a, t- a tough time reconciling the press, uh, the the massive attention, and um, there was a time where he was questioning why do we keep drawing that attention to us? Um, but he understood and actually worked at the foundation for many years. Just left last year, so he's all about it. He and his fiance both are just you know they're all about it. Um, but there was a in the beginning, I was worried that that he would be so overwhelmed by the national press that we made extra efforts to include him in everything we did, so that he would know, wouldn't be surprised. The decisions we made for the foundation, it was a three-person decision because he was an equal partner in right. any decision we made from starting the foundation. You empowered him. Yes, we tried to. Yeah, yeah he's yes. family, and he's he yeah. needs to have his say in it. It's probably one of the single most important reasons why he didn't ultimately get permanently lost is because you empowered him to be part of the process uh, right. at some point. When I, he was so. when I he was so. yeah. Yeah. And also when, in interviews, we never talked about him because I didn't want anybody looking for him. So a lot of folks for many years thought Matt was an only child. child. And now you're more comfortable talking mm-hmm. about him, and yeah, because he's, a, it's he's okay a, with him. It's, it's okay, okay with him. Yeah. Does he have children? No. No. Never will. No. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't want kids. Okay. And then Matt Logan has never wanted kids. So. You, um, the trial, just uh, want to touch on it a little bit. Uh, it was an international story. Obviously, the media pressure was enormous. Um, both men were convicted before the sentencing, so they were convicted. But before the sentencing. Mm-hmm. You, Judy, made the decision to take the death penalty off the table. Is that correct? Well, it was, we, well, for the, the, the backstory is, the second was, the first one made a plea agreement. Right. So um, he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, uh, which means in Wyoming, there was no statute for life without parole. So two consecutive life sentences mean he has to serve one and then he'll serve another. The only time that'll change is if the governor of Wyoming would commute one of the sentences. So I don't see that happening in our lifetime. So the second trial, the actual trial happened. The verdict came back guilty. We were pretty sure the jury would come back with the death penalty. It's, it's we're kind of up to them to decide in Wyoming. And the defense attorneys approached the prosecuting attorney and the investigating officers and us and said, he will accept the same sentencing as Henderson if the death penalty is removed from, is no longer an option. 
And um, I wanted to do that because I knew it would be over. One of the agreements was he would never appeal the decision, so we would never have, we would never be in court again. We'd never see him again. The story would just be over. And that's what I wanted because I didn't want Logan to have to deal with it in his future life. Uh, it took some convincing for Dennis and the investigating officers. They both wanted it to come to the what they felt was the appropriate end. I still do. Um, but I just wanted it to be over. You have not changed your mind on it? No, sir. So you, but you agreed because you were serving a greater good for your wife and your board. Well, the, the backstory to that story is in that the summer before we lost Matt, after the horrific death of James Bird Jr. in Jasper, Texas, when he was dragged to death, we sat there and talked about the death penalty. And all, all of us agreed that there are certain times when certain people should be removed from this earth because they're using enough oxygen that should be better, put to better purposes. So I wanted, I still want to fry him because they were judge, jury, and executioner for somebody who was totally harmless, trying to do something good in, in the world. And Judy came to me and said, we, we need to do this, even though she believed in the death penalty, and it still does. It was the idea that, first of all, we didn't have to worry about him getting off on a technicality. Second of all, we didn't have to worry about him going through the appeal process, even after we passed away, that Logan would be stuck having to worry about him being pardoned. Third was while he's on death row, he's a folk hero and encouraging others to do the same copycat. And the fourth was, if he is put to death, he becomes a martyr for all these other little bugs in the world who, who want to do that kind of harm to somebody who's different. And so another copycat possibility. So as most husbands know, the wives are always smarter, so I agreed to it, and it was it, for, in this instance it was the right decision because they're buried far away. So it's really for you it was your heart versus your head, right? You, uh, the one hand, like you said, yes, they need to, or he needs to be uh, both put of to them. death, both of them, right? But your heart is with your with your wife, and well, it was that's easy. It, it it was a. Even then, it was a matter of practicality. It was an intellectual decision. There was no sense of mercy granted to him when we did this. It was like, it's just over now. And to think that serving your life in prison is some any kind of mercy is the, they're just They're the same not, age. You're 21 like Matt. So yeah. they've been in there for now for almost 21 years. But I know you have seen the video where they're walking one of them out. The sheriffs are all around him. He that walks out. Kenny. With that little kidding. smirk on and his face. He winks and yeah. he smirks. Yeah. yeah. You want to yeah. just, well. That's a difficult thing to show mercy. It was. A uh, you know, moment to show mercy. Yeah. If there was ever actually evil in a person, it's there. Um, it was, uh, he was, yes, the temptation was strong, but it was over, it was overridden by the sense that I just want this to be over. Any parts of you uh, heal over time? Other parts of you that have healed over the time? It's kind of like a scab. Yeah, Rose Kennedy has this beautiful thing about you just build your life around the wound, and um, that's just kind of what we did. Tell me about the foundation. Tell me about the Matthew Shepard Foundation. 
Well, we started it. Uh, we incorporated the state of Wyoming on Matt's birthday in 1998, soon after his passing. Folks began to send us money to help defray medical costs or cup of coffee or whatever. They just like, we need to do something, so this is what we're going to do. And we had this money, and I was like, well, we're going to do something with it to help Matt's friends. We don't know what, but something. So we created this 501c3, and um, really funny story. We sent the application into the IRS, and they sent it back saying, it's lovely that you have money, but you really need to have an idea what you're going to do with this money. <laughs> I had no I had no clue. N no idea whatsoever. So she like, says we, it's her. I went back to Saudi Arabia to work. So, so, we're doing all so we just said, well, we'll just say we're going to set up programs for young people to, you know, to help them move forward, which is what we really had in mind. However, we thought two years was going to be the length of the foundation. People move on, right? They, they move on from one tragedy to the next. So they're going to forget Matt's story in two years and, and, and we're going to have, we'll have spent this money to help kids and we'll go back to the life we had before. It didn't happen that way. And um, we sure didn't think 20 years later this would still be, you know, a topic uh, of discussion. All the things that have progressed and moved forward and even, even if we've gone back a little ways, it's still massive progression. Um, we've morphed into many goals in those 20 years. Right now our concentration is hate crimes, uh, enforcement, education, raising awareness about what it does and doesn't do. Donations still come in? They still come in. Private donations. We don't, we're, we're, it's interesting in the grant process, it's like you're either too gay or you're not gay enough. Mm -hmm. So, um, or you're not big enough or, you know, we don't fund incubating. We fund completed projects and it's like, okay, whatever. But private donations, we survive on private donations, yeah. Three, to year, three years, five years, 10 years longer, however far out we want to look. Are you still doing this? Are you yeah. sitting back and letting others take it? Well, we're, we're encouraging folks in the office, uh, executive director, Jason especially, to do more uh, outreach, more actual traveling and speaking out himself. He's brilliant at it. Uh, our program development, Cynthia Deedle, retired FBI, she's brilliant what she does. We are much older now, and we'll be doing it as long as people ask us and want us, and we are capable. But we, we have no plans to you know shut the door. As long so, as they want us to speak, we'll do what we can, and... Judy's already made, put uh, plans into action that whenever we quit speaking or we just fall over dead, the foundation will continue. We made long-term plans for that. It's, it's more of a it's, a, it's an idea, it's a concept. It's not just about Matt so much anymore. It's about what we can do to help everybody else. Especially young people. That's our whole goal is take care of our, we look out at an audience and anybody who's Matt's age or younger we consider our kids, whether they're successful or not. And our whole goal has always been to take care of these kids and give them an equal chance to succeed. Not because they wear the wrong clothes or they have the wrong skin color or whatever it might be, an equal chance. And we keep asking the question, why is it we're putting down people because they're different instead of celebrating that fact that they are different? That's what makes us such a great country. We are all different and get that to this audience so they start thinking about it and realizing I may not really personally like the person next to me, but I can accept that person for being different and having their own life and dreams and goals. Which I can respect him for being who he is. Yeah. 
Dennis, I think it was you who said, Dennis, uh, of yourself and Judy, uh, we're just ordinary people. We're just country bumpkins from Wyoming. We uh, are. <laughs> I have to sit here and as I uh, get ready to say goodbye, I have to differ uh, with you. Uh, ordinary people don't rise from an unspeakable tragedy to become extraordinary champions of change. Uh, you are both extraordinary people. And I thank you both for taking so much time out of your day to sit and talk with us. We're just taking care of our kids. I wish you both well. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. So as I said earlier, this was an interview from 2019. Matthew's parents touched on why I wanted to revisit this, because so many younger people don't know this story, and it's an important story to tell. But what also struck me is, despite this being three years ago, some of the issues they were talking about still exist. When his mom mentioned how teachers are unable to teach about LGBTQ history in school, that's still an issue today. In fact, this podcast was named because of some of the Don't Say Gay bills. But every time I hear this interview, because I've listened to it a few times, I am struck by the strength of his parents. Seriously, but what happened to all that progress made after Matthew? Well, that answer can be an episode in itself, but advocates basically say that ultra-conservative lawmakers are using the LGBTQ community, especially trans people, as the cornerstone of their midterm campaigns. And some lawmakers are using misinformation to spread these bills. You know what? This should absolutely be its own episode, and it will be its own episode in the future. So we're we're going to circle back on this. But on that note, there is kind of a bright side, and that's the power of a parent's love. Judy and Dennis's advocacy highlights how important family allyship is to the movement. They're actually still on the board of the Matthew Shepard Foundation. And we've seen that before, where parents who are not LGBTQ get involved in queer activism. Like PFLAG. It's the country's first and largest organization for families and allies of LGBTQ plus people. It was started in Queens by Gene Manford, whose son was gay, back in 1973. Eric from the first segment told Jill that parents are key in the movement as allies. And this is because sometimes they're taken seriously in ways that LGBTQ people are not. So parents, be allies because we need you. Thanks so much for listening. It's Okay to Say Gay is a special production of 1010 Wins and WCBS News Radio 880. If you're enjoying our series, please subscribe and rate and review. Special thanks to producers Dempsey Pillott, Jill Webb, and Andy Egan Thorpe, who is also our sound engineer. Tim Schaud is the WCBS News Radio 880 brand manager. Ben Meverack is the 1010 Wins brand manager. And I'm Femi Redwood. Thanks for listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your 
vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.